Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kasuf, and I am excited this week to be joined by Tamara Griffin. She is a freelance reporter who covers women's soccer and black culture for Anscape, Equalizer, Pro Soccer Wire, among others, and previously was an international correspondent who has reported from Kenya, South Africa, Brazil, and many other countries. And uh, very happy to have her on board here. You can, you've probably read some, uh, some work from Tamara on Equalizer recently, and, um, yeah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Excited to to get into it and talk about some of the games from this weekend. Yeah, ex- yeah. T- so Tamara was you were at uh, a fun game at Gotham at Red Bull Arena. the The curse of Gotham this year, I guess, is weather delay at every home game or every regular season home game so far. I guess so. You got to you get the real East Coast experience, more of like a July experience than April, but um, I guess it came early. Yeah, the way that climate change has been set up, everything has either been coming early or coming late, makes it really hard to plan for things. Um, and and I wasn't even fully aware that that there was a thunderstorm coming pretty much until halftime. Um, and so when when we got the alert, you know, we followed what everyone else was doing and we're sort of just waiting it out. Um, but after probably, you know, when we were an hour into it, I started thinking a lot about what the players were doing and, and how teams respond to, to these moments. Um, and I've been thinking a lot lately about how climate change in general is, is affecting soccer from, from every angle, from the playing angle, from the logistics angle. I mean, I started wondering at what point, um, money was, starting to be lost, you know, how much it was costing to pay the 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 people who manage the fields and people who were working concessions um, for all of this extra time. I think about players' bodies, especially as we're, you know, deep again in another conversation about player injuries, um, what it means when your body thinks that you're done for the day and you have to rev it back up in time for another half, two and a half hours past when you thought you were going to be. Um, I knew that the the courage had an early flight um, on Sunday morning and didn't want to start the second half past 10 30 PM, which is reasonable enough. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it was, it wasn't really, it was interesting to be there in person. I mean, there's a lot of confusion um, and waiting around, of course, when you're watching it on TV too, but something about being there really drove home just how big of an impact this has on every aspect of the game. Um but from a soccer perspective, that's sort of what made the second half all the more impressive to me. Um, I know even when games run smoothly, we we talk often of, you know, a game of two halves and these two felt very different. Um, Gotham seemed a lot more assertive um, in the second half. And we can't talk about this game without talking about Lynn Williams again, um, scoring so far in, in every match, I believe since the season started, right. Including challenge cup. Yeah. Lynn Williams has, has been doing very well for herself from the, the move to Gotham, which, um, you know, by all sounds of it was not one certainly was a surprise to her and, and maybe one that, um, you know, she eventually welcomed. Right. So um, yeah, I think, you know, good time for her to be in form, you know, especially with that, that sort of opening day arm injury. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, we should talk about Lynn Williams. I want to, I want to round up, uh, 
we're going to dive into these games and we should just start there because because you were there. And I will note that um, the some of the oldest or or most uh, long-standing NWSL fans might say that somewhere on Saturday the the lightning alarm all the way down at the Maryland soccer plex was going off is probably how that uh, how that felt to be there at Red Bull Arena. But um, yeah, Gotham with the one 0 win over North Carolina, uh, Tamara there with the and I should say. For, for the actual context, the, the cross country trek for Tamara, um, to, to Harrison, New Jersey, the beautiful, the beautiful city of Harrison. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so one nil for Gotham over North Carolina, which, you know, I would say, I say this every season. And if you listen to us a lot, maybe you're tired of this, but I'm going to say it holds true most of the time. Early season results always need to be taken with a grain of salt. Who do teams play? What does the schedule look like? All of that. But, Gotham with nine points from four games. Yes, you might point to a little bit of the quality of opponent in the opening matches for them, but you know we don't actually know the quality of opponent yet until we we see some of it. I think we're making some assumptions about uh, the the victories that they have there, but you know nine points from four games uh, is is a positive sort of you know at minimum like what they needed mentally, emotionally after last year's just miserable season. So uh, a good start for them. And, um, the other matches of the, that we will not uh, explicitly say again, like we, our pod is not necessarily let's talk about every match. We're going twice a week now. So we also have bandwidth to spread that out, but, um, just to name them off and cover our bases here, the rain five, two winners over Chicago Red Stars. That was the eye opening early result of the weekend. Scoreless draw in Washington for the spirit and the dash. Gotham, as we said, one nil over North Carolina. Thorns took care of business at home over Racing Louisville 2-0. Kansas City Current back on track 2-0 over Orlando Pride, and that is obviously in the wake of Matt Potter being fired as head coach midweek. And then San Diego Wave, which is the other big one we want to talk about here, 2-0 victory over Angel City. Um, just just keeping with the Gotham trend, and, and then maybe we can shift into uh, the other the other big city on the other side of the, the country here. But um, yeah, I mean, you said Lynn Williams. You know, I think... There's an interesting sort of, I mean, for me, she is and has been on the plane for Vlako Anonofsky, right? Um, mm-hmm. From the moment that she was back for a lot of reasons, because she's a very good player. And she's also a very good player who fits the system that he wants to play. And and that was the case, you know, before her injury, which is she's, we've talked about this a bunch um, in, in various mediums here, but like she's easily the U.S.'s best defending forward from a high area, which is an important piece of that U S picture. So, um, and now she's an important piece of, of Gotham. So, um, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe this is like new for some people. Right. But I, I don't think that it is certainly for you and I, I mean, and you, you got to see it in person again on Saturday. What, um, I, I guess we know what Lynn Williams Williams brings to the U S in that capacity. And I, I think I'd, I'd be curious if you agree, disagree on, on, first place in, in this world cup team, but you know, what does she bring into Gotham? Because as you said, it's, we're seeing it statistically, certainly. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to speak with her after the, the opening season match against Angel City. You and I were there together in LA actually. And she said something then that I've been thinking about since. And I don't know if it's because she sort of planted the seed and now I'm viewing everything through that lens, but there she, there's a certain lightness, I think, to her. And I'm not implying that it wasn't there before, but I do think that 
anytime a player suffers a serious injury, um, it, a lot of times there's that offers an, an opportunity for something like a rebirth, you know, the the time and the space to rest and recalibrate and to to come back onto the field um, anew. I mean, physically, certainly, but but I think also mentally. And I know that, you know, pe- some people have been in the past critical of her finishing. Um, and I think I would like to think that all of those critics um, are are comfortable sort of putting that argument to rest if we are to take the um, not just her performance within the NWSL, but even on the the national team. Um, I'm, I'm ready to put that conversation to rest. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with with her mental approach. She seemed comfortable and confident, and I could tell that she was picking her spots um, in that game against the Courage this past weekend. I really love the way that she and Yasmin Ryan linked up. I mean, that Ryan's assist to her um, for that game-winning goal felt m- much like the the culmination of a chemistry that I had seen building throughout that game, first even during the first half, um, pre-weather warning. Um, and I mean, and it's not even just the, the injury, right. That, that may have offered her this like shift in perspective. It was also, as you mentioned, that surprise trade to, to Gotham. Um, and I think that she, her, her ability to handle that, um, so gracefully and, and in stride, I think is, has been channeled, um, onto the pitch as well. She seems confident, um, and the kind of confidence that doesn't come from feeling the need to prove anything to anyone. Um, maybe that has to do with the fact that she's feeling secure about her place on the, the roster for the world cup as well. Um, or maybe the, her play is, is giving her that confidence. I'm not sure which it is, but, um, that was, I haven't seen much of a change in the way that she plays. Um, it's sort of the, the energy that she gives off. Um, it's, it's a confidence and a security. And certainly I think that Gotham style suits her style as well, too. Um, those things felt very much aligned. And I know with all of the changes that Gotham has seen, um, that team, even with the success that, that they've seen so far this season, you could tell that they're still gelling. Um, but that's sort of what makes it exciting for both for Lynn and for the team, because if they're able to, I know, definitely agree that uh, we we should be everything that we're gleaning from these earlier games this season should be, you know, done so with a grain of salt. But um, if this is any indication, especially given how last season went for Gotham, um, they they seem like they're in a really good place right now. And, you know, between the the celebrations and the 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 chemistry um, on and off the pitch, they seem primed for um, like a, a literary <laughs> sort of comeback. Um, but, but yeah, she seems comfortable. She seems happy. She seems confident. And I was able, seeing her in person today with Gotham or not today over the weekend um, really drove that home for me. And it's, it's crazy how much of an impact that that can make, but that's, I think that might be the the fundamental difference because the way that she's played, um, I don't think has changed much. She's always been a defensive minded striker. Um, and, and I think that a lot of things sort of just fell into place, uh, even if they came as a surprise to her from the injury to the, to the move, but she, she just seems like she is um, she's, she's aligned. That's, that's probably the word that I would give that she's, she seems aligned right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think she's been, she's been good. She, she always has been. I, I don't think there's, um, you know, I, I, you're right. I mean, put that, put that conversation to bed. It really needed to be put to bed sort of years ago. Right. But um, it's uh, I will say I'm probably a, a little bit more hesitant on whether Gotham has figured this out collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, like I said, I mean, and not to be, not to be Debbie Downer, I think the strength of opponent here early on, um, you know, I think North Carolina, lots of questions, uh, you know, the victory over Orlando, Angel City, who we're going to talk about soon in this pod here is a, a good team, but, you know, I think like that, that was opening weekend, right? Um, you and I were there, as you said, uh, you know, VAR was involved in, in an interesting way in that game. So, you know, I'm not totally sold that, that Gotham has figured things out, but certainly I think undeniably uh, Lynn Williams has been uh, a big piece of what they've done so far and will be, you know, for most of the season, although I'd expect that she's going to miss a good chunk for the world cup because I don't see how she doesn't go, especially now with the the way things play out in that forward line with, with Mallory Swanson, unfortunately hurt. So um, why don't we, I want to make sure that we have a, a good amount of time to talk LA San Diego. And so we can, maybe we'd do that after the break and, and just quickly touch on um, I would say the other big result of, of the weekend, um, you know, the eye catcher, as I mentioned, sort of, I mean, O.L. Reign 5-2 over Chicago. Um, you know, in terms of what's going on here, sort of moments, um, j- just quickly, sort of, what's your takeaway from that game? I mean, for me, Chicago, I mean, this is sort of the yo-yo life of of the NWSL, right? I mean, they go out and they they smack Chicago, they smack Kansas City a week prior, and then they come out and really get, get uh, you know, completely beat up here by, by O.L. Reign. Um What's your takeaway from that result, from how it played out, and and maybe you know from either direction of those teams? I think that this was a team that has a lot of potential, and and at one point had some some momentum in in the Red Stars, going against a team that for the most part didn't have too many significant changes from the twenty twenty two roster to now in OL Reign and is rooted in a playing style that has remained pretty consistent. Um, and by that, I mean specifically the the um, possession-based football in, in OL Reign. Not to mention um, any team that is able to bring Megan Rapino in up <laughs> in the second half um, is, is going to have a, a pretty significant advantage. Um, and OL Reign's composure... Um, throughout the game was it's it's hard to cultivate that if you have not kept a squad together um, for e- even two seasons um, and and the core of all rain has has been together um, for a bit longer than that and I think that ended up being the the deciding factor when you have been with your team for long enough you know collectively how to respond to um getting scored on you know collectively how to adjust you know collectively um what each other needs and how those needs might differ i think on the field and i think out of all the games this weekend um i was most i mean even if we're talking purely aesthetics um ol rain looked their their play at times was was just was it was gorgeous you know they seemed in sync they were flowing um, and the goals followed, which hasn't always been the case with that team. Um, 
that might be one of the more significant changes that they made. It's been nice seeing Jordan Heidema sort of coming alive on the field. Um, Bethany Balser this season, obviously with the brace, um, she's, you know, letting us know that she's back too. Um, Just Fishlock has been consistent <laughs> for, for several seasons now. Um, so for her, it's less of, you know, letting her letting us know that she's here and more just reminding us that she's always been that girl. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah um, just really impressive. And uh, preemptively, uh, RIP my mentions, but I think I, when I look at Ola Rain, I think a lot of um, Arsenal men where it looks good um, consistently. They have all the pieces that they need to go all the way to the end. Um, and it's always, but there's sort of like an ellipsis and a question mark there about a sort of like a will they, won't they question. And another season, um, another like what's shaping up to be um, strong and consistent performances from Earl Rain, and we'll see how, how far it can take them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a statement making game for sure. OL Rain, Arsenal men. That's it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> RIP to the, to the mentions indeed. Um, yeah. Bethany Balser with the brace, as you mentioned, just Fishlock also with a brace and that puts her or, or keeps her, I guess, puts her into the, puts her into the top 10 for all time goals in this league, which uh, at 40, which I think is in regular season, that is, which is a, a fascinating stat really for a midfielder. Um, and I think speaks to, to what she's done over the past decade, obviously a, a rain original, and uh, I think um, I'm saying this off the cuff, but I'm confident enough to say, you know, if you're putting together a, a best 11 historically of the league, she's in it um, and and has been. I mean, she's I don't know if she's getting better with age, but she hasn't dropped off. So, I mean, that's, you know, significant for for her. Um, and, and we should note, Ola Rain did all of that that you just mentioned without Rose Lavelle on the field, too, which is is quite something for um you know, I think leave some questions for Chicago too. Um, want to take a quick break and I want to have time so we can talk LA San Diego. We'll keep you all waiting for uh, what was probably the big one uh, coming into the weekend. And, and I would say certainly plenty of storylines coming out of it. So uh, we'll talk Angel City versus San Diego Wave after the break. Stick with us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Equalizer Podcast. I'm your host, again, Jeff Kasouf, here with Tamara Griffin. And if you could, please go ahead, rate and review this pod. Give us those five stars, some kind words, and it helps people discover it. And maybe somebody out there is looking for this and they don't know it exists. And your review will help bring it into the feed, into the stream, and uh, get it noticed for some others to enjoy it, as we hope you are. So um, the big one of the weekend, want to talk to you about San Diego Wave at Angel City, sellout crowd, 22,000 in LA. Um, I think this is a nicely developing rivalry. I am not one for uh, trying to force too much of a, a manufactured rivalry on, on anything. Uh, but I think that there's, you know, there's obvious geographical elements here. I think that there's, there was an interesting enough subplot that LA just signed Julie Ertz in the past week. And San Diego was at least a consideration among only a few for, for Ertz of, of her comeback. Uh little bit of a subplot. I don't know if that contributes to the rivalry, but I think the games they've actually played on the field for this year have been interesting enough to uh, to say we've got something brewing here. I don't know if it's full-blown, but um, 
San Diego Wave, 2 0 winners over Angel City, really against the run of play. And I think, you know, if you don't believe us, Casey Stoney basically said the same thing after the match. She said she thought her team used up all their luck for the season on the day, got outplayed in the first half, and then mostly defended crosses for the second half. So, you know, um, if you're Angel City, you get Ertz on the field for 72 minutes. I thought she looked good, not great, but as far as what you could expect from two days of training, almost two years off, as good as you could ask for, probably. And um, I think you get a pretty good team performance, and obviously you lose two nil. So, what what do you take away from from this match, from from how it played out uh, to the actual result, Tamara? Yeah, this is this is a tough one um, for Angel City. I it would it's one thing when a team loses because they don't have the right personnel. It's one thing when a team loses due to obvious uh, and explainable, um, but costly errors. It's another thing when you see the team and especially I'm speaking specifically of the first half um, where there is enough going well. And I wouldn't say that that everything went well um, for Angel City in the first half, but enough went well for us, I think, to reasonably expect at least a, a goal. Um, the, there were times where the buildup was promising. Um, Alyssa Thompson continues to be Alyssa Thompson driving into the box and creating chances both for herself and and for others with those tight crosses somewhere, you know, maybe in the like f- 10 yards out from goal when she's driving down to the end line. She does that really well. Um, it was a half that I think made a lot of people who already missed Kristen Press and Sydney Sydney LaRue uh miss them that much more. Um so so it was it was frustrating. Um to, it was frustrating to watch. And I think that what I've been thinking about Angel City is is at what point do the the vibes sort of expire essentially? At what point can and the fact that they played San Diego Wave, you know, expanded the same time, and as you have written, um, had two very different approaches to to building a club. Um, Angel City seems to sort of be building from the outside in, and San Diego Wave from the inside out um, is sort of how I look at it. And that the 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 costs and benefits of that, I think, are why we got the result that we got essentially. Um, so a lot of lingering questions for Angel City. And I think those questions are becoming increasingly urgent um, with each game, especially with games like this one that could have easily, I mean, a draw at best. Um, but I think had Angel City been able to get on the board in that first half, we would be looking at a, a very different game, which isn't the most like uh, profound statement. But um, those things really matter right now for this team. And the fact that they weren't able to put one away um I think is gonna it's it's sort of imbuing the questions that we've long had about this team with with a new sense of urgency. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to look or or to play out, but um, it, it was a frustrating one to watch because there is a lot of potential there, and uh, for some reason things are not coming together the way that they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Angel City Club captain Allie Riley called it a, a turning point for the club after the game. I think, you know, certainly I can see that 
from internally, right, of, of looking at the positives and saying, okay, we, you know, I, I think you could objectively argue, as you said, Angel City outplayed San Diego for large stretches. If you're Angel City, are you happy with that? You know, in a nutshell, certainly you're not happy with the result, but maybe you, you try to spin that as, as a positive. Um, I think certainly there are, um, you know, you could be happy with that. And, you know, the, the big thing, as we know, I mean, Julie Ertz comes into this and, and the sentiment after the game is what I think we could see pretty well, you know, from the outside, which is that she changes the way they play. Right. And this is, um, you know, Jason, and I were talking about this a little bit last week preemptively of, of her coming in of, you know, it's, it's a midfield that has lacked some bite. I think last week against racing Louisville, we saw that they got, they got jumped on early by Louisville and went down two nil and that didn't happen this game, I mean, they, if anything, they jumped on San Diego early, but then obviously the actual finishing aspect, which is, you know, I, I mean, yeah, maybe that's where you, you long for press's return. Right. But you also have, you know, I think, I think Claire Emsley has been a good addition since she arrived last summer. Alyssa Thompson obviously is uh, a generational talent seems to be that way anyway. And, and, you know, arguably maybe it was the best player on the field on Sunday, um, and then you have Savannah McCaskill really pulling the strings in the attacking midfield. And I think that's where you see what Ertz brings beyond just, okay, she wins balls and she can be a presence in the midfield is that, you know, you have the right complement to then say to McCaskill, go ahead, push on high, do not worry about tracking back. Do not, well, I mean, not, not don't worry about tracking back. She will, <laughs> but you know, don't, don't drop into your own defensive third to try to get the ball and and that's what Ertz sort of frees up for for her specifically, and then and then Weatherholt is sort of the complementary sort of box to box midfielder. But um, you know, I, I think yes, you, you're right. There are some of these questions that have sort of lingered, and I think you know certainly benefit of the doubt. And and you know, we should remember like San Diego reset the expectations on what what are these expansion team expectations, right? Because they were really legitimately championship contenders. Whereas Angel City was in the playoff hunt until the final weekend last year, which is better than any other expansion team had ever done other than San Diego. So um, I think, I think if we had, if we were looking at Angel City as a year two team without San Diego existing or, or doing what they're doing, at least, you know, we might be saying, we might have a slightly different view, right. Of, of more, Hey, this is coming together. Maybe it takes a while, but um, you know, Part of that is San Diego's presence. Part of that is the pressure that Angel City has invited upon themselves by, you know, announcing themselves in such a way as as these world changing, you know, this world changing club. And obviously, you've got to, you know, I, I think you said to me when we were in L.A. Um, at some point, you know, this is a, a town like most that wants to see winners too, right? So, um, I think that'll be a big question question for them, and and obviously a lot of of tactics within them. Um, I, I want to ask you specifically uh, about Ertz too, because, you know, as much as maybe the outside folks who are not angel city fans or the average person might just be annoyed with the, the Ertz storyline. I mean, this is here, it's not going away. And I mean, frankly, there's a ton of, uh, it is newsworthy, right. That um, she's back after two years, almost two years to the, I mean, it's, it's 23 months since she last played an NWSL game. Um, and she stepped right into a starting role. I wasn't so surprised by that as much as she went 72 minutes, but um, I thought she might go 45 and and you start her as the minutes management in that in case 
you know, you don't put her in in the second half and then you have to pull her again. But, um, you know, I thought she looked pretty good. Um, she won some balls. She had some giveaways. Um, she played a couple of key passes, entry balls into the box. You know, I, I thought as much as you could ask for, she produced. Um, what do you think about her and, and maybe more so, you know, what she brings to this team, but also more so <laughs> this is game one of 12 until, you know, she gets to um, until Vlako Anonofsky's roster assembles for the World Cup on that June 26th release. I, I think he's going to name it a roster before that. So, you know, less than a dozen games here to, to impress. Um, what, what do you think she did to, to do that? Or if she's even, I think she's playing for a starting role, maybe more than a, a roster spot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is earth that we're talking about. It's interesting. I mean, she has two big objectives to, to sort of meet right now. There is, the fact that each of these games, as you said, is an opportunity to make a case for herself for a starting spot um, on that World Cup roster. And she is joining a team at a time where she is desperately needed, both for what she does with the ball at her feet, whether she or, you know, um, the the actual like physicality of her game and the presence that she brings, I would say, from like a leadership perspective. Um, I think Angel City right now desperately needs both. They need a midfield identity and they need midfield leadership, frankly. And what impressed me most, I mean, I I noticed and she commented on this also um, after the game that, you know, she she still needs to sort of uh, get a little bit more clinical when the ball is at her feet. When um, when it comes to distribution, I, I noticed that there were a few kind of like turn passes that she um, gave that were turned over. Um, but in terms of her coverage, in terms of the way that she, you know, signature Ertz traffic direction, um, it was there from from game one. And I was no less surprised to see it in this uh, game against San Diego as I was to see it when she uh, played against Ireland with the national team a couple of weeks ago. That is just who she is. Um, and that part of her game, which is sorry if we're not allowed to curse, but damn near just as crucial as, as what she brings um, as, as a defensive midfielder um, that I think is going to take even less time to do, to like sort of develop and, and return to her as the, the, the tactical side. Um, but from, I mean, the first 72 minutes after nearly two years away, it it's hard to not, feel hopeful it's hard to manage the expectation that she will get to a place where we can start to expect not the same julie earths because she said that she's there there's no plan for her to come back as the player that she was um but to to have a similar bar that we've always had for her as a player um she has ways to go i think to get there but Based on what I saw last night, um, I'm feeling pretty confident that she can get there. On top of the fact that in the time that she has been away, I mean, and I'm th- I'm talking specifically about the the national team right now. I've not seen anyone offer what what she offers, um, and she she's always had that um, to to her advantage. So um, I, these, I think. 
I can imagine that th there will be like an acceleration in in like her progress over the next maybe four game, four or five games would be my prediction. But um, she she certainly seems like she's on track. Yeah, I, I do think there's an interesting sort of dichotomy that you mentioned of of what Angel City needs, what she needs, and I, I do think you know this. I don't know if relationship of convenience is is fair, but I mean it it worked out well for both in that. You know, it, it's a one-year contract. I mean, I don't know what that necessarily means. We'd, we'd just be guessing. But at minimum, Julie Ertz needed to play NWSL games for the World Cup, right? Right. And, and Angel City happened to be a team that really needed a presence in midfield and could make that happen. And, you know, I, I think I think it all came together in that sense, whereas, you know, I, I think in the past we've seen this where, like, you know, if she goes somewhere else, then we have this tension of, well, or maybe in the past, it's, I mean, she was a free agent. I, we should sort of reiterate that, that she was able to choose in a way that never existed before last fall. You know, if she is somewhere else and that team says, well, you know, whatever. I mean, in the case of Ertz, I guess she's talented enough that no team's really going to say, well, we don't need her. Right. But, um, you know, we need to, we need to bring her along slowly or we need to, you know, whatever it is that fits that team, that there's a tension there of, well, we, the national team need her playing right now, playing a lot, playing in this position and playing in this style. And, you know, I think, whereas that could be an issue in, in a lot of places, um, just by way of the fact that she started when 72 minutes here and is clearly going to be a focal point. I think it's not an issue here, um, which is, is good for both parties for, for many parties, including the U S because um, she needs those games. She needs those minutes and, and we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, to be clear, I guess on my end, I mean, I'm not, you know, and I think you're saying the same, like th there's a good way to go in terms of, you know, her individual performance. I don't think, you know, I saw that, you know, the sponsored player of the match for Angel City was was her, right? I mean, I think right. that's that's a sponsor move, I'm sure. That yeah. is not, you know, I, I don't think uh I don't know. I don't want to speak for Freya or Vlaco or anybody else. Like I don't know if that's really the the analytical take, but right. um you know it, it's it's an encouraging performance, as you said, and um you know, it's, it's what she needs and the U S needs. And, um, for Angel City, at least in the short term, it should be very helpful. So, um, you know, I think, I think Ertz, uh, very interested to see how this plays out, um, you know, for her, for Angel City and, and for the U S. But, um, I would say all things considered a good debut. And, you know, um, I, I thought maybe to wrap up the, the bigger picture of that game, you know, Angel City did really well in how they applied pressure to San Diego and they yeah. sort of screened off Danny Colaprico for most of the game. Um, and they took away the long ball that Kalen Sheridan likes to play, but in the end, and, and this is a credit to San Diego and sort of the, I would say the patience that the wave has and the ability to sort of grind out games and in a way that you have to, if you're going to be a contender is, you know, in the end, it was the other number six that changed the game, which was, Daniel Colaprico, the big switch on that first goal that that broke Angel City's press, got them up that right side, and then and then Sophia Jakobsen with the finish. Um, so as much as Angel City did so much well <laughs> to the theme we were talking about to take Daniel Colaprico specifically out of that game, 
Um, she ends up unlocking them in the end anyway, and uh, Angel City pays for it. So um, interesting tactical battle. We'll have the rematch in the summer in San Diego, which is on big CBS. So that'll be uh, an interesting one to watch. Um, before we go, I did, and and the savvy listener will note that I, I introduced you as having uh, an awesome reporting background beyond soccer. And uh, we've got an interesting, we've got some news. And I think you'd, uh, you could give us some interesting perspective as from some of your previous reporting is um, the 2027 World Cup hosts will be decided a year from now, which is ridiculous in itself. I've, I've said this many times of how delayed that is. And it's finally changing for 2031. But um, the big news last week, USA joint bid with Mexico for this 2027 Women's World Cup. And we've got the deadline has passed to express interest to FIFA. So the four bids, they're not even formal bids yet. They're just expressions of interest. But the f- one of these four places will host and that is a joint bid between the three of Belgium, Netherlands, Germany. Number two option, Brazil. Three is South Africa. And then four is the joint bid between USA and Mexico. And that number order is just alphabetical uh, purposes. But um, really interesting scenario here. And I want to get your sort of brief take on on what you think of this, Tamara, because the U.S., always throws its weight around in something like this. Maybe you'd immediately want to say, okay, they're a favorite. They certainly have the commercial potential to to do what FIFA wants to do with the women's properties, but we've never had a women's world cup in Africa. We've never had one in South America. Um, the joint bid in Europe there for me, I think, I mean, Germany hosts in 2011, you know, I think to me, all, all reasons other than commercial would point to either South Africa or Brazil and not that those can't have commercial reasons, but then the U S comes in, they throw in Mexico with this developing Liga MX as a sort of co-host. I think it's really interesting. Um, we don't have to go too deep. We've got plenty of time for it, but I don't know. What, what do you think? Where, where would you even want to be? Where, where do you want to be in four years? <laughs> oh, you're, you're asking a Lucifile. So it's <laughs> <laughs> Brazil. Um, in terms of where I would, would want to be close second is, is South Africa. And I say that both from, I mean, the perspective of literally where I would want to spend a month um, covering, covering a world cup. Um, but I also say that, and, and yes, I'm also saying this as someone who has done extensive reporting in Brazil and South Africa, not from a women's football perspective, but, you know, from a political perspective and from cultural perspectives, but even if I'm looking at this as a person who covers the sport and sees the the direction that it's being pulled in terms of talent, in terms of um, surprises, in terms of growing and like exponentially growing interest and investment, it's got to be one of the two. Um, and I think that whoever does get um, the the opportunity to host in 2027, whoever FIFA chooses will say a lot about where they, I won't even say where they see the future of women's soccer, but where they want it to be. Because I can't imagine that they're not seeing the direct, the same things that we're seeing. Um, I wrote last summer about the African Women's Cup of Nations and how difficult it was to watch from the U.S. compared to CONCACAF, compared to Women's Euros, compared even to Comibol. Um, in South America, which is a shame because it was thrilling 
Um, the talent is growing. Morocco, who reached the finals and ultimately lost to South Africa, um, have made tremendous investments in football for men's and women's. Um, and the the ROI on that um, was apparent in that game. Um, we're seeing it in the number of African women players who are being recruited to leagues across Europe um, and Asia and even South America and into the NWSL. Um, there's a lot brewing there that I think the average um, uh, fan or or supporter outside of the continent might not be aware of. Um, but if you look at, you know, um, Oshwala in, in Barcelona, if you look at um, Kanu with uh, Racing Louisville, if you look at any other league, um, you can find at least one African player who's who's making waves there. Um, Brazil. I wrote a piece for for Equalizer about the number of Brazilian players who are coming into the NWSL. And yes, the the World Cup that we're going to have this summer was a big reason for a lot of that. But I don't think that's going to just end after <laughs> after August of this year. I think it's the beginning of a trend that we're that is only going to gain momentum. Um, and if FIFA is as invested as they say in growing the women's game, then they're going to need to look at the global south straight up. Sorry, there's some construction um, outside my window, but they're they're going to have to look toward the global south. Um, and this might sound a little provocative, but um, I think it's 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 not unreasonable to look at these other bids from, you know, the joint USA Mexico bid and the the three-way Belgium Netherlands Germany bid as a I mean obviously I would expect them to to want to host but um when I look at the way that women's soccer is changing globally um I think there's a way to read those bids as as kind of like digging the heels in the ground and resisting the change possibly um but it's things are turning toward um the global south and I think that Brazil and South Africa could the benefit to that having that spotlight um would I I think it would actually change the game I really do so I'm I'm hoping for I don't know if I could actually like on record say one country over the other between Brazil and South Africa um I think either one would be incredible um for a number of reasons but those would be my my preference. Um, on top of the fact that we just need something different. But to your point also, I mean, the the fact that this is going to be set um, so early, given how quickly this game is changing, I mean, who knows how we're going to be feeling even by 2026. But based on how things are looking right now, um, I would like to see something different. I would like to see, to see something bold. Um, I would like to see something that gives space for the game to grow in the direction that I at least see it growing. And for me, that means um, a Brazil or South Africa bid um, taking the whole thing. Well said. I think uh, very interested to see how this plays out over the next year, uh, what those bids look like, and uh, ultimately where FIFA and and those voting on the final the final vote there for where this will go, uh, how they feel and, and how they are persuaded and all of us, obviously, as we know, all of the, the politics that will go into, to that whole process. But, uh, we will keep tabs on that throughout the process. Great to get some, some perspective, 
Um, as Tamara said, as you said, I mean, having reported on those uh, on the ground in those two places, and I agree, I think different, um, obviously, all things equal with the other things that are needed, resources, infrastructure, investment, all of those things, you know, I think needs to be, uh, it has to get beyond playing in North America, Europe, Asia, which has really been, you know, China a couple of times now. Um, and then obviously in, in New Zealand and Australia. So uh, interested to see where that goes, but uh, we have run out of time here on this one. Um, Tamara, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. And go ahead, rate and review this pod. As we said, we'll be back with you again later this week. Always happy to talk to you. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Equalizer Podcast. <laughs>